Aerospace Unplugged. Hello, and welcome to Aerospace Unplugged. I'm your host, Carrie Sinclair. Joining us in the studio today is builder, engineer, and pilot, Joe Caraggio. How are you doing, Joe? Doing very well. Thanks for having me. Great. So, Joe, I understand you've been inspired by aviation since you were 12, and you were given the nickname Ramp Rat as a kid. You also have an aerospace engineering degree. You're wearing a Ramp Rat racing shirt today. Tell us more about yourself. Well, yeah, I started in aviation when I was 12. I went for an airplane ride down in Tucson with a a distant relative of mine, and that got me hooked. After that, I found a uh, local day camp in uh, my hometown of Brookfield, Wisconsin, and went to the uh, local airport and participated in that. That's where I got my Young Eagles ride um, by a uh, guy named Eric White, who was himself a Young Eagle, so I'm a second-generation Young Eagle. Made friends at the local airport, Capitol Drive Airport, Brookfield, Wisconsin, and uh, they invited me to spend time there. So from the time I was probably 12 to when I went off to college, I spent every Saturday and Sunday out there and in the summer just about every day. Um, I started taking flying lessons when I was 12 or 13, soloed on my 16th birthday, got my pilot's license on my 17th birthday. Um, from there went on to the University of Minnesota Twin Cities, got an aerospace engineering degree. While I was doing that, my college job was at, uh, as a flight instructor, so I was teaching people to fly while I was going through school. And uh, when I graduated college, I started working for the airlines. I've worked for three different airlines. I started out in turboprops out of Milwaukee, then moved up into jets out of Minneapolis, and now I'm working out of Phoenix here on uh, the Airbus. Great. So you've been really involved in the aviation community. Tell me about Young Eagle program and specifically tell me what it means to be a second generation Young Eagle. Well, the Young Eagle program is a really neat program. It's a it's a program for kids ages 9 to 17 to give them their uh, first airplane ride. It's a free experience for them. It's all put on by volunteer pilots. Um, I got mine as a part of the aviation day camp that I was a part of. Um, and specifically the second generation Young Eagle piece, Eric White himself was a Young Eagle, so he received a Young Eagle ride. He was one of the first pilots to return to the program as a volunteer pilot gave me my Young Eagle ride. Um, Now I've returned to the program as a volunteer pilot. I've worked both on the ground before I had a pilot's license helping at Young Eagle events and now also give Young Eagle rides. I assume if someone's interested, they can just Google Young Eagle and find some information? Absolutely, yeah. It's it's an Experimental Aircraft Association program. Okay, great. So you were a commercial pilot for most of your career and have flown, I can't believe this, more than 80 types of aircraft. That's correct. Eight zero. Yes. What's your favorite kind? The last one I flew. Um, yeah, I have all different kinds of favorites, and it really depends on the mission. So asking me to pick a favorite airplane type, that's that's a difficult question. But it depends on what your mission is. Or, um, yeah, I have some favorites because of their historical significance. I've flown the Wright Model B Flyer and the B-17, and those are really historically important airplanes. So it's, it's neat to have flown those for that perspective. Um, my Long Easy is a really fun airplane and one of my favorites because I built it. I'm the first person and actually the only person that's flown it at this point. Um, and then also my Lancer Legacy that I race. I mean, it's an airplane that flies just exactly how you'd want it to. It's really fast. It's a lot of fun. So, you know, I have all different kinds of favorites. It just depends on which airplane I flew last. And I, I guess your mood. 
Yes, absolutely. Are you running to go fast? <laughs> what or are you go slow, to do? go right. land in the desert. Exactly. So you built your own aircraft. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about that. So how did you get started? Well, getting started. So getting started with building a uh, experimental airplane just more so started with uh, the people that I was hanging out with at uh, the airports back home. Uh, they were all heavily involved in experimental airplanes, and so um, I knew that I wanted to build one someday. I had no knowledge in building things, um, and I went to a, uh aviation internship in Texas where a friend of mine taught me all about machining and welding and composite layups, aircraft maintenance, uh, things like that, and that's what gave me the skills and the confidence to know that I could build an airplane. And after that, I, uh, after I graduated college, um, I wanted to get started. And so I found a project that somebody had started but uh, gave up on. The uh, Long Easy is a composite airplane, and the gentleman who started it developed an allergic reaction to the epoxies used in the construction, so he couldn't finish the project. So I purchased that project with a partner, and we got started working on the airplane. Great. So you just did that in your spare time when you weren't flying, or...? Yeah, it's. I mean, most people when they're building, they they uh, have the project in their garage or their basement, and so uh, that's where I had my airplane was in my garage and started working on it and just picking up little pieces, trying to do little parts of it every day, uh, you know, just working through the plans. Very cool. So I heard you have a name for your aircraft. I do. The airplane's name is Betty. And why Betty? So there, when you're building a moldless composite airplane like the long easy it kind of looks ugly because of the different colors of the epoxies and um, fillers and all of that stuff so until you start getting um, to the finishing portion where you start putting primer on and stuff like that uh, it looks pretty ugly and so um, I did a uh, blog while I was uh, building the airplane and at that time the tv show Ugly Betty was on oh, right. and the name of one of my blog posts was Ugly Betty isn't so ugly anymore um, and that was right when I was doing the finishing work on the airplane and the name stuck. Nice very nice so I want to talk about your experience with the Reno Air Race. So what is it like to race? And, and let's talk about, like, what are the rules? And tell us a little bit more about what kind of a race it is. So Reno is a pylon race. Uh, the course is uh, 10 pylons, and the course minimum altitude is 50 feet AGL, which is the top of the pylon, and the maximum altitude is 250 feet above the ground. Um, you've got eight airplanes going around the course, uh, making a big left turn, trying to be the first one to cross the finish line. Uh, the class that I race in is the sport class. It's open to any experimental airplane with less than a thousand cubic inches of display of engine displacement. So it's a pretty broad category. The fastest airplane this year was just under 400 miles an hour, and I think the slowest airplane was about 220 miles an hour. Um, we invite 34 racers to Reno every year based on their speed, and we break the races up into eight per race. So we have four different races: the gold silver, bronze, and medallion races. Um, How'd you do? So I qualified in the pole position in the medallion race. And, um, you know, being a rookie, I was not flying quite as fast as I possibly could have. So I qualified in the pole position in bronze race. And then every day I was getting a little bit faster and a little bit faster and flying the course a little bit better. And um, I ended up finishing uh, sixth in the silver race. So I moved up a race. Nice. Excellent. So uh, when did you decide you wanted to become a race pilot? 
You know, that was kind of an evolution. So uh, I've been volunteering for the EAA Air Venture Cup race for uh, 22 years since its very first year. Um, and so I've been around race pilots. That's a very different kind of racing. That's cross-country racing, so you're not down low to the ground, although sometimes wind di winds dictate that. But, um, yeah, it's it's basically a speed over distance type of a race. You're not um, racing. More planning, less yeah. speed. Yeah, so um, the uh, I've been around race pilots and around racing since I was – 14 or something like that and so I you know when I was building Betty and and you know all through my aviation uh, experiences I knew I wanted to race though I thought Reno was kind of unobtainable for me I viewed those pilots as these rock star pilots and um, that probably something I wouldn't be qualified to do and so um, over the last few years I've been volunteering at Reno working in the pit crews for some of the other racers who I happen to know through the Air Venture Cup and EAA and other um, things that I volunteer with and as I was working there I got to know some of the pilots and ask more questions and and observe how they fly the races and ask them questions about it and um, a couple of years ago uh, four or five now I guess um, one of our friends who raced at Reno unexpectedly passed away. And uh, one of his statements at his uh, memorial, or one of the things that he was quoted as saying was, uh, the people who race at Reno want to live life as participants, not as spectators. Um, and that really hit home with me. It was something that I really wanted to do. I wanted to learn how to do it. And um, the, the quote from Lee was really inspiring. So I decided to get started and, and give it a try. Great. Um, so what kind of physical and mental commitment does it really take? You know, there's not a huge physical commitment, but um, it's a huge training commitment. So uh, in order to be qualified to race at Reno, you have to go to Pylon Racing School, which is held over the same course up in Reno uh, in the beginning of June. And in order to go to Pylon Racing School, you have to meet a series of uh, qualifications. So one of them is you have to be proficient in formation flying. And uh, there's a bunch of different ways of doing that. But uh, what I ended up doing, there's a couple of other Reno race pilots here in the um, in the Valley in Phoenix. And so I ended up going out with them on multiple occasions, probably 25 or 30 hours of formation flying with them here to get proficient and to get to the point where one of the two of them or both of them would be comfortable giving me a recommendation to go to pylon school. So um, we did that. I went up to pylon racing school. It's um, a minimum of seven days long, but I went for a couple of extra days, so I spent 10 days up there, uh, did all the formation, required formation maneuvers, and uh, gave the class an opportunity to validate that I was safe and proficient in formation. Uh, we have a ground school, and then we have three days of on-the-course flying where you go out and do simulated races. You do simulated pylon cuts, um, simulated engine failures, uh, all of those kinds of maneuvers to prove that you can handle everything that might come at you. That's a commitment. It is. <laughs> um, so you've flown 80 aircraft. So surely you've flown Honeywell Avionics. But today I'd like to speak a little bit about the Bendix King products in your airplane. Which plane are they in and, and what do you have? Um, I've got a full instrument panel by Bendix King in the Lancer Legacy. So I have the X-View Touch system. I have the X-Cruise Autopilot. Uh, the X.100 engine monitor, and then an AeroNav 900-800 KMA-30 audio 
panel, the KT-74 transponder, um, the Aeroflight standby instrument, and a KGX-150. So it's pretty much the full suite of everything available for an experimental airplane by Bendix King. And I have to say, this is a podcast, so you can't see, but he didn't look at notes. He just rattled off all of those product names. It was really impressive. <laughs> so what do, you, what do you enjoy most about the avionics equipment? You know, they're so intuitive. And, and having worked behind Honeywell products in uh, transport category jets, um, everything has been so simple to learn. The, the symbology and the way that they work is very similar. Um, and even for somebody that's coming from general aviation, from regular instrumentation to an EFIS, it's been super easy to learn. It's got a very shallow learning curve, so it, it's pretty intuitive. Um, the uh, engine monitor has been a huge help, and um, the ability to have engine instrumentations on the biggest screen in the airplane uh, was hugely helpful for Reno. Uh, while you're racing in Reno, you only have two places on the course where you have enough time to look at engine instrumentation and tell what the health of the engine is. And each of those two, two places, it's probably about a second or a second and a half that you have to look at the engine instrumentation, interpret it, and then make the appropriate changes. Um, and that was super helpful for us. It also has data logging, so we would a were able to download all the data and look at how I did when we came back from racing. Good. Well, what's next for you? Next, we're uh, working on some modifications to the airplane. We're trying to make it faster, um, hoping to add a little bit of speed and, and get a little bit better engine cooling over this winter. Um, about... April or May, I'll start uh, practicing formation again. I, I go out formation flying all the time, but we'll hit really hard with the uh, other folks in the area uh, April or May. And then June will be uh, Pylon Racing School again. I'm not required to go, but it is a good time to practice. So I'll go there. It's a lot of fun. Um, and so we'll do Pylon Racing School in June. Uh, July will be the Air Venture Cup race. And then uh, September of next year will be Reno again. Wow. It's a busy schedule. It is. Um, I, I'm just curious. So, when you're formation flying, are you just doing that for fun around the valley, or for the most you part do it for events? It's so uh, we go out and we do it just to maintain a uh, level of proficiency with it. Formation flying is a very perishable skill, and if you haven't done it uh, recently, it takes you a while to get back in the groove and and to be where you want to be. So, uh, we do it more for proficiency and practice. Um, we don't really have any events that we get invited to, although there are other people and other groups in the area that do that. Um, the group that I fly with, we mostly just do it for fun and proficiency. Okay, I'll just be looking up in the sky in May then. Yes. All right. Um, so, I appreciate you coming to the studio today. I really appreciate it. Um, but we always ask our guests one question at the end, which is, how do you unplug at the end of the day? You know, it... I so enjoy all of the things that I'm I'm involved in that for the most part uh, I do get my satisfaction and and kind of relaxation time out of being at the hangar and so um, at the uh, airport that I'm at there's a good group of people so um, mostly it's hang out in the hangar maybe clean up after a day's worth of work put the tools away have a beverage with the other pilots and mechanics that are out there. All right. Well, thank you. I really appreciate you coming in today. Thanks for Thanks having so me. Thanks so much. Once again, my name is Carrie Sinclair, and thank you for listening to another episode of Aerospace Unplugged. To find out more about Joe and his racing career, watch his customer success video on BendixKing.com. Safe travels, and we'll see you next time.
This episode was produced by Katie Carney and edited by Chloe Dake.